in a sermon series in the month of November called The Cost of the City. The Cost of the City. We all pay a cost to live or um, associate with, do business in the city of Chicago. And that cost comes in many forms, personally, professionally, but there's also a reward for the cost that we pay. Maybe we get less square footage uh, for, for our dollar in our apartment, um, but we may, may make more dollars in the end uh, because we, we have access to jobs we wouldn't otherwise have access to. Maybe we, we hit some potholes uh, with our car, but um, we go to better parties in our car <laughs> because we live in the city. There's all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of uh, costs in the city, but there's also quite a few rewards as well. Um, but there's a city to come. There's a city that God uh, has founded on, on his son and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And from within the city, to, the city that we live in, there's a city to come that's growing and that we get to participate in. Jesus has paid the cost, but he invites us to participate in paying the cost with him as well so that we can participate in the rewards of the new city and the joy of the new city. So we're talking in this, this, uh, this month about what we're called to, what costs we're called to pay. We're going to count the cost this month as a church. And last week we talked about church planting. What does that cost us? I'm, I encourage you to listen to that sermon from Dan Clare, guest preacher from Washington, D.C., Today we're going to talk about outreach, next week we're going to talk about repentance, and then in the final week we're going to talk about generosity. All of these things that uh, are costs that we participate in joyfully, um, and, uh, but we're also looking to the city to come, looking for those rewards as well. Um, so not long ago, our family visited the Shed Aquarium. Anyone been, been to the Shed Aquarium here in Chicago? Great place to go. Uh, my sister, my older sister Joanne, and her kids were here as well. So we had a, we had a lot of kids, lots of things to see. You know, there's, there's the penguins. There's the sharks. There's all the multicolored fish. Um, and um, there's just a lot of, you know, herding, herding sheep that you're doing the whole day. And, um, and it was tiring, um, but, you know, it's worth it. And so we come to the end of the day. Um, and the, the final thing that we do is the dolphin show. So we finally get, and it's really, there's a lot of crowds around trying to get our seat into the dolphin show. It's just like, ah, you know, after, after lots of standing and walking and things, we finally press our way in and we finally sit down as a family and like, it's like, okay, I felt like now I can relax. And, and now I can eat my little, you know, carrot sticks and peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just, ah. And, and I can just relax, and I'm no longer, you know, having to shepherd and, 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 and shuffle. And, uh, and the show starts, the lady with a microphone like this, only she wore it more skillfully than I do, she was like, welcome everybody to the Shed Aquarium, we're going to start the dolphin show in a minute. But first, before we begin, there's someone here looking for their parents. And they have a sister and a brother, and, and I'm just eating, sitting there eating my carrot sticks going like, you know, what kind of a parent? <laughs> you know, I don't care. About, you know, some kid is lost, okay? These things happen. Okay? Blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, they'll find their parents eventually. I'm going to eat my little snack because I've had a long day. 
And then I hear Laura's voice. She's sitting on the other side of our kids. Aaron, where's Sam? <laughs> Quickly, I scan my children and I don't see him. He's missing. And there's something that happened in that moment, something shifted for me. That lost child out there all of a sudden was no longer some kid. He became, in that moment, my kid. And so I was sitting there in the auditorium, just like you're sitting here in the Kiva, and, I, and that shift for me was a fatherly shift, and I got up out of my seat, and I went down, and I did the walk of shame in front of everybody. <laughs> and Sam came running to me, and we embraced. And you know what? Judgy as they were, everybody clapped. <laughs> there was rejoicing. Did you know that there's someone who's supposed to be here today and they're not here? Did you know that? You, there's an empty seat next to you. There's someone who belongs at the family table. They're not here. Um, in fact, there's several missing people from our family table today. Several empty seats. They've never darkened the doors of Emmanuel Anglican Church, or probably any church, at least not for a long time. But they do belong here. They do belong here. Let me describe their reality today. Maybe they're in a high-rise somewhere. Maybe they're in an apartment somewhere or a house. Maybe they're having brunch. Maybe they're catching up on Netflix. Um, for many people in Chicago, Jesus Christ is totally invisible. You and I have both encountered Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of you have not. But for the people who aren't here, they don't see him anywhere in their life. And there's nothing in their life where they could look and go, oh, that's Jesus. I can see Jesus in that community. I can see Jesus in that symbol. If they could see him... Like Sam, they would run to him. They would embrace him because they would see his strength and his beauty and his love. They would, they would run into his arms and be reunited with their true father if they could only see him. He's ready to give them abundant life. He's ready to forgive all their sins. He's ready to satisfy their souls forever. But he's invisible. But he's not just invisible. For the... For them and for many others in Chicago, for millions of people in Chicago, Jesus Christ is also quite intangible. I don't see any man living named Jesus Christ except for the people who, who are crazy. And um, people have no idea what it feels like to be united to Jesus. They don't know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know what that's like to have the peace of God and the joy overflowing, and the love of God, the love of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's been so long you've just forgotten that there was another way. But there are millions of people in Chicago that don't, that they've never felt that, and there's nothing tangible to connect them to Jesus Christ. They have no idea what it would feel like to interact with Jesus in holy community or holy communion. 
Jesus Christ is not just invisible, he's intangible. But furthermore, he's also impersonal. Do you know that many people in Chicago confuse, they, when you say Jesus Christ, you know what fills their brain? Like some kind of version of Midwestern moralism. They think it's just like people that are trying to be good, maybe superstition. But he's totally impersonal to them. Jesus Christ knows everything about them. They don't know that. Jesus Christ became human for them, died for them, rose for them, ascended to the Father for them, is praying for them. They don't know that. Jesus Christ has a personal name written on a white stone for them. They don't know what that name is because they don't know Jesus because he's not personal to them. They don't know that Jesus would take them by the hand and pass them through every trial they'll ever face and pass them through death into eternal life and never leave their side. They don't know that because he's impersonal to them. They don't know that he has a personal calling on their life, that he has a personal anointing on their life. There are people in Chicago who belong here and they're not here because Jesus Christ is invisible and he's intangible and he's impersonal. They can't see him. They can't feel him. They can't even connect with him even if they wanted to. Even if they wanted to. So, who are they to us? Are they just some kid? Or are they our kid? Are they just some person? Or are they God's children? To answer that question, I want us to look together at Luke 15. Look at verse 1 with me. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt, have you ever seen someone giving um, parking tickets and in your heart kind of hated them a little bit? Get out of my neighborhood. Um, first of all, do you know that they're just doing their job? And, and imagine, if you want a really fun experience, go up and thank them for what they do. Seriously, tell them it would be parking mayhem around here if you weren't doing your job. I've done that a couple times. Do you know that they always go, oh man, you're like the first person that's ever said that to me. All right. Think of how you feel about people who write tickets in Chicago. And now times a thousand, that's how people felt about tax collectors in Palestine. Because they were totally corrupt, totally unjust, and they were, they were, they were preying upon the poor people. They weren't just doing their jobs like ticket writers in here, here in Chicago. They were, they were fleecing people out of money, and they had Roman, the, the Roman sword behind them. So everyone hated them. And everyone's like, oh yeah, if anyone's going to hell, it's them. If, anyone, if there's anyone that God hates, it's the people that are fleecing God's people. So tax collectors and, and, and sinners, people who were kind of filthy, they didn't line up with what people thought of as good. And so they were some kid. Verse 2 says this, The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The cultural pressure of the moment was leave them, leave them be. Okay? We've got enough people here to take care of. Let, who cares about the tax collectors and sinners? And yet, Jesus has set a table 
for those kids because they're not just some kid, they're his kid. And he's inviting them to his table so that it says so that they could hear him, hear his words of life, get close to him, hear that they're loved by the Father, that, that their sins, every last one can be forgiven, that there's nothing that can exclude them from the love of the Father or the embrace of the Father. One New Testament scholar helps us understand the significance here of Jesus eating with sinners. He says this, It is important to realize that in the East, even today, to invite a man to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. At Jesus' table, the community of saints is already being represented. The community of saints started for Jesus by inviting those kids, the tax collectors and the sinners who didn't belong so that he could feed them with words and with meals and with his very life. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Luke 15.1 is a very concise way to describe the vision of Emmanuel Anglican Church. It's a picture of what we pray will become a reality for us. Because we exist for Chicago. We exist for the people in Chicago for whom Jesus is invisible, intangible, and impersonal. That's why we're here. We exist to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to Him. Where else is that going to happen? Praise God, there are many other churches that worship Jesus where that can happen. But we believe there should be a church right here at 900 West Wilson, with signs out front, with a children's ministry where people can hear about Jesus, with ushers who will transform this into a sacred space, with people who will hear the word of God, read the word of God, memorize it, with the people of God who will say the liturgy. There's got to be a place for people to come in where Jesus is tangible and personal and real, where they can hear the words of life. We exist to make Jesus visible, personal, tangible. That's why we exist. That's Every dollar you give to Emmanuel Anglican Church fuels that vision. Every volunteer hour you give um, is supporting that vision. Everything we do is driven by the vision of lifting high the Son of God in the city of Chicago. Because how else? There, there are people who will meet Jesus because we exist. There are people who have met Jesus because we exist. We believe there will be many more. That's our vision Verse 15.1, the tax collectors and sinners and, and those kids were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. They were feasting with him. We want to see that happen at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Now one way we're called to grow in this vision of lifting high the Son of God is through our outreach. That's one of the ways that we need to pray and grow and experiment and press on so that our vision can become a reality. For the most part, we let people find us. And that's good. That's, that's in some ways necessary and a good thing to do in the era of over-marketing that we all live in. We, we create an outpost of hope with an open door, and that's important and necessary. But the Lord does have more for us as a church, um, which is that we need to go out and find the people that God is seeking because they're not just some kid. They're our kid. They're his kid. 
some of you have very strong relationships with people who have no interest in Jesus. And you're credible in their eyes, in part because you don't pressure them to get religious. And so let me just say thank you, okay? Thank you for being a credible, not perfect, but a credible friend to people who are outside of the church. Um, thank you for not manipulating people, guilt-tripping people, or sales-pitching people. Thank you for building trust with them. I really appreciate that. When I talk about outreach, I'm not talking about a multi-level marketing scam. I'm talking about love, and there's a big difference. I'm talking about receiving the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father urgently seeks a reunion with his lost children. The heart of the Father urgently seeks a reunion with his lost children. The heart of the Father is not a multi-level marketing scam. Pressuring and manipulating. That's the way of, in some ways, the way of the current city. That's how businesses grow. That's not how we grow. We grow through love. We, we grow through receiving the heart of the Father and then joining the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father urgently seeks reunion with his lost children. And when we receive the heart of the Father for the people of our city, we will seek that reunion too. We will. And I want to look at three dimensions of, of joining the heart of the Father. The first one is the urgency to find the one who's missing. The second one is the diligence to find the one who's missing. Third, the joy of the reunion. So first we'll look at the urgency of finding the one who's missing. Secondly, the diligence to find the one who's missing. And then finally, the joy of the reunion. Urgency, diligence, and joy, they all go together. Let's look first at the urgency to find the one who's missing. Verse 4 of Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, friends, Jesus is inviting us to imagine ourselves as a, as a first-century Palestinian shepherd. Um, would a first-century Palestinian shepherd please rise? Uh, okay, so we have to go back and look. Kenneth Bailey, New Testament scholar who spent many of his years in the Middle East. Come on, Mike. Spent many of his years in the Middle East. Um, helps us understand. Here's the way they operated. Um, first of all, there was no one shepherd over 100 sheep. Okay? There was no Donald Trump of sheep herding. Okay? It's huge. I've got a hundred sheep. Okay? It's fantastic. Um, no, there was a team of shepherds. There's a team of shepherds um, for a hundred sheep. Most likely, these are all the sheep represented by a village. And so, um, so there would be several shepherds from the village to take care of the sheep. And so when one sheep went missing, do you know what went missing? Um, something that the village and the shepherds were highly invested in. So Jesus is inviting us to imagine ourselves as, you're on a team of shepherds, okay? You have a fair amount of sheep. It represents a whole village. But there's one that goes missing, and the village is highly invested in that one. So it's an extended question on the part of Jesus. Which one of you, being in this situation, would not go after that one sheep? You're invested in the sheep. The other shepherds are invested in the sheep. The whole village is invested in that one lost sheep. And there's great urgency to restore that sheep. The shepherd will know. If you're a first century Palestinian shepherd, you will know the danger that that sheep will face. 
Um, when a sheep wanders outside the protection of the shepherd, it becomes vulnerable to attack from predators. When the sheep no longer has the comfort of the herd, it gets anxious, it gets disoriented. This is how sheep work. The sheep may break limbs by taking a dangerous path. The sheep may get sick by drinking from a polluted stream. The shepherd can well imagine what the sheep faces. His heart and the heart of the village is with that sheep wherever the sheep is. And there is so much urgency to find that sheep before it gets destroyed from its reality of being separated. You know, I went for uh, my annual wellness exam this last, I don't know, Thursday. And um, I got my flu shot. Public service announcement, get your flu shot. (laughs) I got my tetanus booster every 10 years. And... Um, and it was good. So thank you all who are in the medical professions. You're in ministry too. You are. Um, so guess what? The nurse brought me back to the room. She was going through my paperwork, all the you know, medical history and things. And she, she asked me a question. It totally threw me off guard. She said, she looked at me in the eyes and she said, do you ever struggle with feelings of hopelessness and depression? And I said, no. And I said, how many people say yes? And she's like, let me think. And then she looked at me in the eye and she said, about half. About half. Half of everyone that walks into that room is dealing with hopelessness and depression. What about all the people that don't walk into that room for their annual wellness exam? Because they're too depressed to get out of bed or too hopeless. Or they don't have health insurance. For all those in our church, maybe you would be in that room and you'd say, yes, I do struggle with hopelessness and depression, or I have in the past. I want to ask you a question. Um, What would it be like to be in that battle and not have the support of Jesus Christ? To not have the support of the church? To not have a place where you could receive love and truth? Um, For everyone here who's, you face major fears, whether real or imaginary, it doesn't matter. You just face, you've gone through some things that have totally rocked your world. Um, what if you never had the peace that passes all understanding in your life from Jesus Christ? Can you imagine that? You, you're just left to fend for yourself. What, what about those of you who have endured a trial, a traumatic, stressful situation, a crisis in your life or your marriage or with your kids, with your school, and you needed the body of Christ to come around you and support you, to pray for you, to counsel you, to speak the truth in love. Can you imagine facing those trials by yourself? But that's the reality for most people in our city. There is someone out there who belongs here. They might appear to you to be high-functioning, but in reality, they are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. The Father's heart is urgent to find those who are missing. It's urgent to find the people who are saying, yes, I feel hopeless. The Father's heart is urgent to find them. The Father's heart is urgent to find people who say, yes, I I am totally locked up in fear. I feel afraid for my very life. 
The Father's heart is urgent for those who are going through a crisis, those who feel alone in their struggles with their kids, those who feel absolutely alone in dealing with the death of a Logwood. The Father's heart is with them even this morning, even though we're not. And He wants them here. And when we receive His heart, we'll want that too. The Father's heart is urgent to find His missing children. Not only that, the Father's heart is diligent in its search for the one who is missing. Verse 4 again. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Friends, if you're the shepherd, you're searching high and low. You're actually going to put yourself at risk to find that sheep um, because you're going to go in the wilderness Um, You're going to go in the crags and the ravines and the marshes and the mountains. You're going to go where the sheep has gone, and the sheep has gone to dangerous places. Jesus uses another illustration to help us see how diligent the search is for the one who's lost. Verse 8 of our text says this, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? See this? The woman that Jesus mentions in that parable, she'd be even more desperate than the shepherd because one-tenth of her total estate is gone and she doesn't have very much to live on to begin with. And she's a woman. She has very little power in that culture. Um, So she's got even more reasons to look diligently. So she sweeps her house. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. If it's not under the table... You look in the corner. If it's not in the corner, you comb through the ashes from the last fire you built to cook your bread. The coin is valuable. The coin belongs to me, and I must find it. This is a work of holy diligence and creativity. As we face outward to reach those that are not here, there will be a fair share of trial and error. We'll pray. We'll experiment We'll go searching for them, and we won't give up until we meet resistance. Why? Out of guilt? Out of a, out of a sense that, that, that we're desperate? No, because people need the love of God in Christ. Without it, they're lost. You know, if we really embrace this call, we will be tempted to get discouraged. All of hell will oppose our efforts and come against us. We will experience trials we've not experienced before as a, ch- as a church. Yet it is imperative to receive the heart of the Father for those who are not here. You know, one preacher, it's funny, but it works, describes uh, this reality as a 13-year-old girl in search of an iPhone. Okay? A 13-year-old girl who doesn't have an iPhone yet but really wants one. Do you know how she's going to be? She's going to be resourceful. She's going to be persistent. She's going to be bold. And she's going to be really clear on what she's after. And she's not going to stop. That's the thing. I'm learning this about children. They don't stop (laughs) when you resist. They keep going. They keep asking. If they don't ask you, they'll ask your spouse. They'll go to the grandparents. (laughs) 13-year-old girl will not 
give up searching for her iPhone. The woman will not give up searching for her lost coin. The shepherd won't give up in searching for the sheep. It doesn't matter how much trial, how much error. The father will not give up searching for the person who's not here because he's their kid. And neither will we give up as a church in pressing into our vision of lifting high the Son of God for the city of Chicago so that many would be drawn to him as they were drawn to him at his table in Luke 15. So there's the urgency and there's the diligence. And friends, finally, there is the joy of the reunion. The joy of the reunion. And this is where your um, dance floor skills come in. This is where your party skills come in. And I know that you have party skills. Um, This is where your ability to feast comes in. Because there's nothing more celebratory to us apart from the living God than when someone comes into the presence of God and receives the life of God. We rejoice and celebrate and take delight at every stage that someone gets even one degree closer to the love of God. Check out the shepherd in verse 5. And when the shepherd has found it, the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, the shepherd may not normally rejoice in this moment. Uh, Think about this. You put yourself at risk. You're hungry. You're tired. You're wet because it's raining. Um, You're totally exhausted. You finally find the sheep, and the sheep's like, meh. (laughs) He's recalcitrant. Sheep get recalcitrant, and they bite. Okay? Nevertheless, this shepherd rejoices at the sheep. The shepherd takes the dirty, stanky sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and that stank is all up in his face, and it's heavy, and what is he doing? He is rejoicing. He is happy. He's He's singing on his way back to the village because what was lost has been found. One commentator refers to this reality as the burden of restoration. Think about that. The burden... The joyful burden of restoration. He rejoices at the privilege of carrying the burden. Because you know what? People are messy. We're messy, aren't we? All of us are messy. We, we spend great amounts of effort trying to hide our mess, don't we? Some people can't. Some people won't. And we cannot let that stop the party. We cannot stop that, uh, let that stop the rejoicing. Let us begin to open our hearts to the point where we can celebrate and rejoice when the messiest person takes even one iota of a step towards Jesus Christ. It's an unfinished, messy process of bringing the love of God to the people of our city. Lifting high the Son of God in the city of Chicago may sound grand, but let me tell you, it is a work of sweat and blood and tears and mess. And it is beautiful. And all will be drawn to him, and we will rejoice when they are. The whole community will rejoice, not just the shepherd. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Notice, it's my sheep. I found my sheep that was lost. And you know what, village, it's really our sheep, so let's all celebrate. This is but a picture of the heavenly celebration that happens when people come to Jesus' table. Verse 7 says this, 
This is the words of Jesus, my friends. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, at the communion table, um, we are called every week to, to lift up our hearts to the Lord, right? And we lift up our hearts to heaven. It's as if the church is being brought up to the presence of God and we join the song of heaven in singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, we join heaven's joy in the person of the living God. It is so right for us to do that. It's good and right and a very joyful thing, always and everywhere to give thanks to God. But that's not the only thing that the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven celebrate. According to Jesus, they rejoice when one messy person comes to the table and turns to God for the first time. Why? Because they belong to God. They're not some kid. They're his kid. And it's a reunion for him of someone that belongs to him that he created and that he invested his love in and they were lost and now they're found. They're his true daughter, his true son, not just some kid. That's why Jesus got up from his heavenly seat and said, that's my kid. He went urgently and he went with diligence. He took on human flesh and he paid the cost of the celebration of that table on the cross. He paid the cost. This is the cost of the city. He paid the cost. So that not just tax collectors in the first century, but Chicagoans from the 21st century could come to his table. Friends, we have a day ahead of us where we will receive the task of creatively looking for, inviting, and opening ourselves up to all those who are not here who belong here even this morning. But right now, what we start with is by receiving the Father's heart. Because all of us were at one point estranged from the Father, estranged from the table, estranged from Jesus Christ. So I invite you now to receive with me the love of the Father for his children. Would you pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us again with your peace and with your love. Fill us with your blessing. We are your sons, we are your daughters. Let us rejoice at the feast today. Give us your heart and your compassion, and yes, even your urgency for all those who belong here but are not here. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.